Well, uh, as Lance said, um, I am uh, very honored to get to preach here today. It's been uh, quite some time uh, since being in front of um, everyone and getting to see everyone and getting to share God's word with everyone. So if this is one of your, uh, if this is your first Sunday here checking us out, or if you're new to the Grove, uh, there's so much in this passage that next week Lance is also going to pick up on it. And so um, if today just goes terrible, tune in next week or come back next week. You'll hear a little bit better explanation of, of this passage. But there's, there's really so much um, that's great and rich and true in this passage um, that it, it's really, if, if you're a Christian, you're, you're very familiar with it. So I'm, I'm uh, glad to, to get to unfold God's Word with you this, this morning. Uh, one, one of the um, fortunate things that has happened with uh, 2020. There's been so many unfortunate things, right? I mean, this past week we had the water crisis in Lake Jackson. It's like, what else is going to happen? But one, one of the fortunate things of 2020, at least in my family's uh, life, is that we've had more time to watch classic TV shows. I'm not just saying just watch TV, but to watch classic TV shows. And my wife and I uh, decided that we would introduce um, one of, if, if not the greatest TV shows of all time to our kids, and it's Family Matters, okay? All right? Yeah, there we go, Family Matters, okay? So my kids have the running theme in their head of Family Matters. Last, uh, yesterday, actually, we watched what I thought was one of the, one of the better episodes where uh, Steve Urkel uh, takes the, uh, the elixir and turns into Stefan Urkel, okay? Uh, all right, well, maybe... You guys need to get on Hulu, okay? Go back to the 90s. Everybody wants to go back to normal. Go back to the 90s, right? Um, well, we, we watched it, but um, the theme is, and I'm going to, my kids are at home cringing right now, but it's a rare condition this day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page. Come on, sing it now. There you go. Love and tradition of the grand design. There you go. Some people say it's even harder to find. There, I'll stop, okay? But that's always been the question. That's always been, Look, last week Lance did some, some kind of dancing for you. I, I'm singing today, okay? So it's 2020, all right? But uh, all silliness aside, everyone has the question, regardless of time, regardless of uh, ethnicity, regardless of um, uh, people, regardless of age, Everyone at some point asks the question, what is the good life? What does it mean to flourish? So uh, I'll do something a little more modern now. We've got John Krasinski, okay? There we go. We'll bring it to, uh, so you've got Jim from The Office in 2020. Starts hashtag some good news, right? And everyone's in on it. If you haven't, if you haven't watched um, Jack Ryan, or who, however you want to view him, uh, go to YouTube and type in some good news. And, and that's, that's what he's done since March is he's posted all these videos of just some kind of good news because people are desperate for just some kind of good news. I quit turning on the news, the evening news, because all it is is murder and death and bad news, right? But uh, so Jim from the office said, hey, let's do hashtag some good news. And it, it's great. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have watched or not, but at least for me, it was encouraging. And that's because we all want to experience some kind of good news. We want to experience some, what does it mean to flourish? Give me some good news where I see good things happening in the world. And if you look at Matthew 5, 
uh, verses 11 through 16, what you actually see is Jesus is unpacking for us uh, three approaches to human flourishing. Three ways in which people try to experience good life and to see human flourishing in the world. And so there are three ways in which communities relate to one another and experience the good life. But Jesus is going to say only one of those, only one of those truly brings about human flourishing. And only one way shows you what it means to be human. So I've given you a song, and now I have three points, and they all start with C's, okay? So I'm trying to be as preachery as possible here this morning. The first, the first approach is um, to confront. The second one is to uh, conform, and the third one is to practice covenant, okay? So we'll unpack all three of these for us. But you can see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they, keep that, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why do people persecute other people? Why do groups of people persecute other groups of people? Why does one group of people revile as Jesus is going to say, revile and utter all kinds of falsehood against another group of people with whom they disagree. Why? Well, if you look at the life of um, one of the New Testament writers, his name was the Apostle Paul. And in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us, we'll throw this up on the screen here behind me. You can flip to it if you want. But this is Philippians 3, 5, and 6. He says, I was of the people of Israel... Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's talking about his ethnic identity and where he was in relationship to that particular group. Okay? As to the law, I was a Pharisee. So I was at the top of the top of this particular group. And then what's he say? As to zeal, what? A persecutor of the church. So I, I was at the highest point of this group and I persecuted this group here. Jesus, they call Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 a, a glutton and a drunkard. That doesn't just mean that they think he went around and drank with people who drank. That's an Old Testament reference to Deuteronomy, which was a wayward son who would lead astray the people of God. And so it's, let's persecute Jesus because he's leading people away from our tradition and the way that we have been identified with. One approach to experience the good life and flourish as a community is to say, you for the sake of my tribe and my people. You for me. You for the sake of my good and my tribe. Paul said he persecuted the church because he was zealous for his people and he believed he was upholding the law. The Pharisees had said, had, think about this, the Pharisees crucified Jesus. Where did they crucify him? Outside the city. Right? They cast him out, and they not only crucified him outside the city, they cast him out and crucified him on a tree, which cursed is anyone who is, who is hung on a tree, Deuteronomy is going to say. The law of Moses, their ethnic identity, cast him out. That's purging the evil from amongst your midst. It's you for the sake of my tribe and me. And this human flourishing, this, this approach to human flourishing is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. The rest of the world 
The rest of the world isn't like us, so we'll revile, we'll persecute, and we'll speak evil against it until it's like us. See, the problem with this view is it, it's, it's so exclusive. If, you're, if you don't take on my identity, if you're not one of us, then you're out. But the world should really would be a whole lot better if it was more like me. This is the default position of the human heart. Everyone in here, this is the default position. Well, you know what? You wouldn't have that problem if you, uh, you, know, if, if you did things kind of more like me. I, I remember one time I, I uh, was at a Bible study and I, I heard a guy once say, I just don't get people who have money problems. Suck the air out of the room. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. We'd be a little bit better if we were just like you. Religious or not, we all have this. Whether it's my group and my tribe has felt injustice, therefore we will go and we will destroy businesses. Or it's, see, this is such a problem. If they would just fall back in line, things would be just. We all have this bent in our hearts. Because it's inward oriented. It seeks to view honor. It seeks to honor family and tradition, and it holds tight to the values and beliefs of the tribe against welcoming the outsider for who the outsider is. It's better in 5.11. You'll see Jesus uses this language in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when others, you see that others, the other, suffer than the tribe and tradition. It's better, this view says, to confront the confrontation view of human flourishing is it's better that others, outsiders suffer than the tribe and the tradition suffers. An individual community, individual identity becomes so bound to the community that excludes everyone else. What's glorified and honored in this view of human flourishing is a preservation of family, of tribe, and of tradition. Religious or not, it's you for my tribe, for my sake. So that's, that's the first view. And as I said, it's, it's too exclusive to actually see human flourishing beyond one particular tribe, one particular group. There's a second approach to human flourishing, and it's conformity. The first is you for my tribe, for myself. The second is me for your tribe and for yourself. Me for you. Me for this, I will sacrifice me for the sake of you. And Jesus gives two images to this in Matthew 5. You can see it, Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So there's... The idea of conforming usually takes two metaphors, salt and light. And the idea here is, I'm going to sacrifice me to make better for you. Salt and light by nature are other-oriented. No one goes to Perry's and orders a plate of salt, and when the waiter comes out, asks for a T-bone. Right? Salt exists to enhance and bring out the flavors of the steak. Light exists to bring out, to, to help, right? So you can see and you don't trip over the couch in the middle of the night. I had a, uh, I had a moment, um, 
uh, I like to cook. I like to make gumbo. I'm from Louisiana. And um, I, I love breakfast. That's like a tradition in my family is, is the dads make the breakfast. So, uh, so I got a Blackstone grill um, this past summer. It's awesome. Uh, do my own little, you know, Japanese-style cooking outside in the backyard. And, and so I'll throw out some bacon now, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll do eggs. Humble admission, my eggs tend to be dry. I tend to sometimes overcook them. And so I humbled myself, and I thought, what would Bobby Flay do? Because everybody wants to beat Bobby Flay. So I go, and you're going to do this. You're laughing at me, but you guys whose eggs need some A game, you, you're going to type in Bobby Flay when you get home. And Bobby Flay said, the problem with your eggs is you put the salt in too early. It's too much salt. What you do is you put your eggs in, and on the pan, you, you just whisk them the whole time, the whole time about three-fourths of the way in, then you apply the salt at the very end, you take it off, you plate it, and the salt then brings out the flavors of the eggs. My family rose up and called me blessed that morning. <laughs> like, I, it was like, all right, Dad. And I was like, yeah, we got some bacon. This is all, my bacon game is always strong now. My egg game is, thank you, Bobby Flay, right? And so, um, but that, that's what salt does, is if you pour too much salt, it's terrible, People are just like, yeah, those eggs are great, sure, yeah. But if you put eggs in, or if you put the salt in at just the right time, you bring out what is actually there inside the eggs, right? You want people like, this is great. Light by nature exists for the other. Light does not exist for light's sake. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, um, verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Light is outward-oriented. Salt and light are me for the sake of your tribe and for your people. But unfortunately, Jesus is going to point out, there's, you, you can say, we're not going to confront, but what we're going to do here is try to conform and win society, but there's, there's a wrong way to be salt and light. What's Jesus say? If salt loses its saltiness, it's what? It's good for nothing. It's throw it out on the ground and trample on it. It's good for nothing. If light is hidden under a basket, what's it good for? Nothing. Right? And unfortunately, what happens is, especially in um, evangelical culture, in evangelical uh, churches, is we think, we're going to go win the culture. I'm going to go win the culture, and I'm going to be salt and light, and we misapply exactly what Jesus is getting at here because we forfeit the resources and the distinctiveness of salt and light. We, we lose our saltiness, and then we're, we've just conformed. We haven't brought out anything good. We lose our light, and we have just basically become another fixture in the living room. Light is only good for a house if it's not covered up. But the pressure here, the pressure here is always inclusivity. If the first approach is exclusivity or exclude this approach, the pressure that comes is typically when my goal is to be light and salt, you end up and you don't hold on to your distinctives as a Christian. You get sucked into it. I had some um, 
earlier this summer, I had some uh, really good friends, uh, Kelly and I, we caught news of some really good friends who um, we've known since 2004, went to college with, and uh, we dated, Kelly and I dated at the same time, they dated, we go on double dates, you know, you didn't have any money in college, so it was always create creative stuff is what you do, like a blanket out on the soccer field, and you know, I, I don't know, like eating popcorn cause, and ramen, but like that was, you know, sweet back then, you know, and so it's like, you got these sweet memories of like doing creative stuff for these people, and, and then you, you, you grow up and, and the relationship continues, and uh, we, we've moved on, they have um, um, stayed in Alabama, and uh, we got word earlier this summer that, uh, that they had divorced, and, um, and it was devastating. Kelly and I, uh, I, I turned off my phone that day. Kelly turned off her phone for work, and we just sat there and cried. And, uh, and it, it was just like out of nowhere. And, um, and then we asked some questions, and some of our friends told us, and they were like, here's, here's what we know. And uh, so we tried reaching out, and no response. And uh, two months later, um, I found out that they had as a goal, as a couple, to reach the LGBTQ community where they were. And that's, that's a noble desire. That's a, uh, a godly desire. Um, but they did it by themselves. And, uh, and they lost their distinctiveness, you see. Um, the husband is now in a relationship, same-sex relationship with another man. And, uh, and this is a guy who, uh, who would teach Porterbrook. This guy who would uh, be up here preaching right now. This is a guy who taught Greek and Hebrew in Bible college in his early 20s. Um, and uh, I can't help but think the goal here, please, the goal here is not that you go and do salt and light things. What does Jesus say? You are salt and light. You are. And what makes you salt and light is the distinctiveness of being united to me. And I'll tell you what has happened is he is not, that my friend has not, and I pray for him all the time. I get on Facebook on a weekly basis. I type in his name and I say, Lord, bring him to repentance. And I have a theology that says God's going to preserve him at some point. If, if, he was, if he was truly regenerate, at some point the Lord will bring him to repentance, whether it's next week or 10 years from now. But what happened is, you see, he hasn't abandoned the faith. He's now exchanged what the Bible has to say about Jesus to what the culture has to say about Jesus. And now, of course, Jesus is who he wants Jesus to be. In his own mind. And so there's a danger there. You're not going to see human flourishing by pounding the culture and trying to emphasize, see how exclusive we are and stick to family and tradition and, and, uh, um, and confrontation. And you're not going to win the culture. You're not going to see human flourishing. You're not going to see it happen by trying to do salt and light things. By trying to be as inclusive as the culture 
is. Human flourishing doesn't come from those. But there's a third and a better way for human flourishing. It's not confrontation. It's not conformity. The third way which the Bible describes it, which Jesus calls it, is covenant. Simply put, covenant, and write this down if you have to, stick this phrase in your head. Covenant is a promise of faithful presence. Every word there counts. It's a promise of faithful presence. And in the Bible, God has progressed human history through a series of covenants leading to what is now called in Jesus the new covenant. And the way that we say it here at the Grove is we are for Jesus and for good. So if the first approach is you for my tribe and for my people, and the second approach that won't work is me for your tribe and your people, we believe it, the approach is us for the sake of Jesus, for the good of all peoples. Notice that Jesus doesn't simply say that his people are to do salt and light things. And he also doesn't simply say, you are salt and you are light. Look at the text. Look at the text. You are the salt, what? Of the earth. Does he, also, does he then go on and say, you are light? No, what does he say? You are the light, what? Of the world. Salt and light are, are two ways of saying the same thing. Okay? So is of the earth and of the world. They're parallel thoughts. Those ideas of the earth and of the world are not throwaway language. They're language from the old covenant. That promises to Israel that God had made. And the idea of land was, catch this, the idea of land was incredibly important to Israel. Incredibly important. And look what Jesus does. Look what Jesus does. He takes this really important phrase of the land and he sticks it as parallel of the world. A very negative connotation in Jewish society. You see that? And so he turns upside down everything you think you know what it means to be of the people of God, clinging to your ethnic identity, clinging to it's, it's going to be us in this small little place of Palestine. He flips it upside down and he says, no, God's mission the whole time has been for the world. And if you want to know what it means to be, if you want to know what it means to be the people of God, it's not oriented around your ethnicity, your family, your tribe, your social justice. It, it's oriented around Jesus. Jesus isn't picking a metaphor out of thin air. Oh, let's just see what tastes good. Salt. Let's see what also helps people see. Light. Okay, that will work. Here's a cute little way to begin marketing me. Now go. It's not what Jesus is doing here. What he's doing here, and in the flow of his entire sermon, is this. The law and the prophets, they're about me. In fact, that's what he's going to say next in this passage. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Everything about the law and the prophets, everything about the promises of God, everything about the land, everything about the earth, it's all about me. Jesus is redefining the people of God around faith in him, both Jew 
and Gentile alike. And so this is in stark contrast to confrontation. This is in stark contrast to conformity. I mean, think, think about this. Jesus is playing with narrow and broad terms here. He takes salt of the earth or salt of the land. That's a narrow term. And then later on, he's going to say, no one takes a light and lights it in a house. Okay, so he kind of, he, he makes a sandwich. He sticks two pieces of bread here of narrow terms. Okay, and then he's going he's gonna to make that sandwich with really broad, wide-reaching language. Light of the world. City on a hill. You see, God's heart for humanity has not just been Jew. It's been Jew and Gentile around Jesus. God's heart is for the nations to see human flourishing in every square inch of the world. But here's, here's, here's what's different. While the first approach might be exclusive and the second approach might be let's be inclusive, the gospel approach is inclusive and exclusive. It's exclusive because it's Jesus only. There is no salvation found in any other name by which men may be saved except through Jesus of Nazareth. But yet it's inclusive at the same time because why? Jesus is saying, of the world. My mission here is of the world, to go out, right? You don't just have a mission like the prophets did. Think of the Old Testament prophets. There's one, there's one prophet who uh, we, we tell our kids a story of who went to go preach to the nations, and he did it begrudgingly, Jonah. The Old Testament prophets preached to Israel, right? And they had splurts of little messages here for the nations, but God's heart is for the nations. God's heart is for the nations and it's for Jesus. So Lance next week is going to uh, hit more. I'm, I'm kind of like the 30,000 square foot view high up. Lance is going to hit more specific application next week. But I, I've thought about why does Jesus use these metaphors of salt and light? Because there's so, depending on who you talk to, there's so many different interpretations of it. You know, is salt is a preservative. Salt helps things to taste good. Salt purifies things. And there's so many applications of that that, that we can then extend and push out into the world. But here's why I think Jesus uses salt and light. Look in verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter what? All kinds. Jesus is saying, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. Great. Yes, I love being blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now go and get eaten by wolves. Okay. Uh, Can we rethink this? They're going to persecute you. Oh, okay. Like what kind? All kinds. And while they're, um, okay, like just some kinds, like just mean things they're going to say about me falsely. No, all kinds. They're going to say, oh, okay, Um, all right, well, how do I think about that, Jesus? Salt and light. They're both broad metaphors. The point is not that you find a specific thing and say, here's how I specifically apply this. The point is that I orient my thinking around Jesus and who he is in every single situation, come hell or high water, so that when all kinds of evil comes, 
I'm not worried about saying, people saying, uh, he's a Jesus freak. I just take it as it falls, and I will be faithfully present in the situations God has put me. Holding on to my distinctives of who the Bible says Jesus is. Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus says, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to see this and think, okay, uh, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And the question is, okay, so I'm just supposed to live my life so that others can see. Do you know who the others are in this passage? Jesus has used that word others previously in this passage. Blessed are you when others revile you. The others with whom you let your light shine and you hold your distinctives are the ones who are persecuting you. So it's not just let me flaunt and hashtag my Christianity so that all they can see is, hey, you know what? You're going to be reviled and persecuted and spoken evil of. You're blessed. But you're also to be faithfully present, seeking their good in the midst of this. Why? Because that's who we are. That's who Jesus was for us. Jesus was faithfully present all the way to the point of death for us. Even death on a cross. So one seminary professor put it rightly when he said this. If Jesus were preaching today, he would have said... You are the oil of the earth. But if the oil loses its fuel burning and plastic forming abilities, how can it be made into oil again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out or left on the ground underfoot. You are the mobile communications, the cell phones signal of the world. The large network of cell towers and satellites cannot have their signals blocked. Neither do people buy a smartphone and lock it in the trunk of their car. Instead, they carry it with them, unless you're my wife. And you stay connected to everyone in their social networks. In the same way, let your mobile signal connect with others that they may see your good deeds. What is good deeds? Salt and light. See your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Be as present and impactful in the lives of others as oil and mobile communication signals Think about our lives today with those two things. Think about how radically different this approach to human flourishing. If we were people marked out not by confrontation or trying to conform, but people marked out by the new covenant, how different things would be. We don't confront people in order to exclude. We don't conform in order to lose our distinctiveness. Rather, we are to be faithfully present even in the lives of our enemies. You know how hard that is? Like the way oil and cell phones are. You may say, well, who would do such a thing? Because I tell you what, if somebody speaks evil of me, <laughs> oh yeah, I got a tweet for you, buddy. Oh yeah, you're going to say that? Well, here's, here's my little jab right here. Okay, and I'm going to come up with something else, a little more sarcastic. I got a little spiritual gift of sarcasm here. Let me just take you out right now. Who, who would do such a thing to say, live as salt of the earth, light of the world, 
think radically about every situation and all things, who would do such a thing? The ultimate reason for a Christian's faithful presence is because God has been faithfully present in your life. That's ultimately the reason. And it's not because we're repaying something. It's because when we are faithfully present in the life of our enemies, we experience the gospel on a deeper level. We experience the gospel for what the gospel is. Because in the good news, listen, if you haven't heard anything I've said this morning, here is the good, you want some good news. Here is the good news. That because of Jesus, you and I, who were once enemies, and maybe today, you, you are like, I have nothing to do with God. I could care less. Or maybe you could say, hey, I've got the entire Old Testament memorized. But you don't love Jesus. Both are still an enemy with God. And the good news is that we who were once enemies have been brought in by relationship by the good works of God's Son, Jesus, who was salt and light, who was trampled underfoot for us, who was light and put under a tomb, and then would raise for our forgiveness. And now God relates to us, and Jesus is going to use this word that's going to start to shape the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your God. Give glory to who? Your Father. You see, that's what's at the heart of the gospel. It's what the, the heart of the gospel is that God is faithfully present in my life, whether I am killing it or not, whether I am sinful or or not, God has made a covenant because of Jesus to be faithfully present in my life. And I am so grateful for that. Let me tell you, I, here's my admission. The guy up here preaching today, my Bible reading has stunk the last six months. Stunk. Um, there you go. That's it. It stunk. <laughs> but what... What defines me is not my Bible reading. What defines me is the precious promises of God that he will always be with me even to the end of the age. And what that creates in me as I actually repent and think about those things is, why wouldn't I want to be in here? If that's the good news you have for me, why wouldn't I want to, Stephen, be in the word instead of all the negative bad news in social media? Jesus' disciples live this way in the world amongst a hostile people. They honor God because they reflect Him for who He truly is. And as we both be as a people and live this way as a people and individuals, we proclaim to even our enemies that God's not hard to find even in this day and age. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, grateful to be around your word. We're grateful that um, you would be our God and that we would be your people. And we praise you because of 
uh, your son not only dying on the cross to forgive all those who would ever believe, but also raising from the dead to confirm a covenant and send us out to be people who would honor you. And so would you, O Lord, cause our hearts to be um, soft to your um, presence and that we would um, glorify you in the midst of even our enemies. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.